Welcome to the Derek Prince Ministries podcast, helping you to grow stronger in God. For more than six decades, best-selling author and Bible teacher Derek Prince has been a source of inspiration for millions of believers around the world. You too can benefit from his compelling biblical insights. And now, Derek Prince. This week I'm continuing with the theme that I began but did not complete last week, progress to perfection. Last week I pointed out how essential it is to have a goal in life. Without this, we merely drift. We're like a ship at sea without rudder or anchor, carried about with every wind and current, and very often the end of a life lived like that is shipwreck. We need a goal, we need a purpose and we need to know how to attain that goal. In the Christian life, there are two distinct but related goals. The first is the goal of external accomplishment, what we do for God. The second, but related, is the goal of internal development, what we become in God. And I've pointed out that we cannot separate the two. What we do for God ultimately must be consistent with what we are in God. We have to be in line with what we claim to do. Now in my present talks, I'm dealing with the goal of internal development. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus states this goal as a commandment in two words. Be perfect. He also sets the standard as your Father is in heaven. So we're not left with any doubt as to what the will of God for us is. We are to be perfect, the standard, as perfect as our Father in heaven. I use the comparison of the word round. Every circle is round, but circles differ in size. Anything that is not round is not a circle. God is the great circle that encompasses the universe. We can be just tiny little circles, each one in our own allotted place. But God expects every circle to be round. He expects us to be as perfect in our tiny dimension as he is in his tremendous dimension. It's quality we're talking about rather than quantity. In the latter part of last week, we saw that the Apostle Peter sets before us seven successive steps to attain our God-given goal. These are stated in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Speaking about God's provision for us in Christ, Peter says, He has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Then he goes on, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. We see there two things. First, the goal is stated, both positively and negatively. Positively, the goal is to participate in God's nature, to become partakers of God's own nature. 
The negative consequence of this is that we escape the world's corruption. But Peter also sets forth the practical steps to attain this goal. The starting point is faith. The seven successive steps that follow from faith, that lead upward from faith to the attainment of our goal, are these. First, goodness. Second, knowledge. Third, self-control. Fourth, perseverance. Fifth, godliness. Sixth, brotherly kindness. Seventh, love. Love is the goal. It is the nature of God. Last week I spoke about the first two steps, goodness and knowledge. I explained that goodness is probably better translated excellence. It's not just moral goodness, though of course that's important, but it's general excellence. Our faith should enable us to lead lives of excellence in whatever area we are in. If we're carpenters, we should be excellent carpenters. If we're teachers, we should be excellent teachers. If we're housewives, excellent housewives, and so on. Then the second step, knowledge, is not intellectual knowledge, but it's spiritual knowledge that comes primarily from the Scriptures, the Word of God. It's knowledge that enables us to know and to do the will of God. Today I'm going to speak about the third step, self-control. Now some people don't like the idea that there is any room for self-control in the Christian life. When they say, doesn't God do it all? The answer is definitely not. Salvation initially is entirely from God. But as we progress, he requires our cooperation with him. And our cooperation sets the limits for what God can do for us. This is stated by Paul in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You see, there's two sides. God works in insofar as we work out. But if we stop working out, we give God no more opportunity to work in. Self-control is part of our working out what God wants to work in. The obvious example and one which is used in Scripture is that of the athlete. In today's world, we are continually confronted with athletes. Uh, on television, athletics is one of the major attractions. And of course, we're familiar with the World Olympics, which come every four years and really dominate the television screen for a number of days. Let me say, I myself enjoy being a spectator of athletics. I think it's a very interesting and challenging thing. But athletics sets a standard for us as Christians. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who p competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown of laurel that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man shadowboxing. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I think the key phrase there is everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. That's for temporal success, to gain a temporal reward. In the old days, it was a laurel wreath. In our time, it's a gold medal. But whatever it is, it's something temporary. It's of this world. But we are promised 
a reward that will be eternal, a crown of glory that will not fade away. But Paul says if athletes have to go into training in order to win their medal or prize, how much more should we go into training to win our eternal, imperishable medal or prize? So going into training, applying discipline, self-control is an essential for success in the Christian life. I want to speak to you about three specific areas in which we need to apply self-control as Christians. These areas are, first, our physical appetites, second, our thoughts, and thirdly, our words. I'll briefly glance at what the Scripture has to say about these three areas. First of all, the area of physical appetites. Paul says in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. See, these people are not enemies of Christ. They claim to be Christians. They're enemies of his cross, that in their life which demands self-denial and self-control they are not willing to accept. And Paul's words about them are terrible. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. The question for you and me is, does my stomach control me, or do I control my stomach? Am I controlled by my appetites, or are they my servants? Only self-control will enable us to make our appetites our servants and God's servants. And then the area of our thoughts. In Philippians 4, 7 through 9, Paul says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul starts with the peace of God. He ends with the God of peace. And he says, if you want peace, You've got to discipline your thoughts. You've got to control what you think about. He names eight things that we have to practice thinking about. What is true, what is noble, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. Feed your mind on the positive and you won't be overcome by the negative. But if you're always occupied with negative themes, don't expect to have a positive Christian life. And finally, one scripture about the control of our tongues and our words. James 1.26 if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That's very clear. If we claim to be religious, we've got to control our tongue. Let me suggest to you that people who are gossips or slanders, slanderers or always using exaggerations or idle words cannot claim to be, by Bible standards, religious. They have not achieved self-control in that area. Thank you for listening. For more inspiring teaching, visit our website at dpmuk.org forward slash podcast and like our page at facebook.com forward slash dpmuk to join our online community. Derek Prince, teaching you can trust.